1: Computer, a fun, wholesome device that we use every day to collect our tax data and to build our word processing documents. But while you sleep, your children are entered into a world of demonic savagery where murder is the currency and everyone's eager to pay extra. In this report, we will show you how your children are being warped by the demonic, horrid, blood-soaked disgust that is the id Software Corporation and their horrible games that are just ruining America. Mark my words, in this the year 1994, America will never be more violent than it is right now. (laughs) Ah,
0: mommy, mommy, I want to murder the Satan Lords, and I want to join their forces once they're dead.
1: I don't know who John Romero is or why he's going to make me his bitch, but you go to your room, mister.
0: I, I'm a Satan lord, and I was hoping your boy would join my sweet army. We've got weed and fucking Tool albums.
1: Why? Why did we bring this 386 processor into our lives?
0: Why can't we just be sober? Just want to stop. I love Tool, uh-huh. okay? I like tattoos. I like fucking Doom, secret levels only. Mm. And I like fucking... Uh, uh, ninety the the edgy nineteen nineties, buddy. This has taken me back. I'm so pleased we could finally do this episode. I've actually been wanting to do this episode s- s- f- since we first started this. Mm. I think, um, because I was like, I had read Masters of Doom. And I, I just think it's uh, thought it was such a great work. And I was like, oh my God, I've read this book. I know everything about this thing now. We should probably do an episode on it. <laughs> and of course, you did bring up the good point that a lot of people know this story. Um, but you know what? At, but the other point you also made up was they don't know the story chalked to the brim with cum jokes. Okay? And that's what we can do here at Wizard and the Bruiser. This is the service we have decided to lay our bodies down on the road for you people. In order to do, uh, if you consider the story of its software like a
1: shotgun, consider the story of its software with our copious cum jokes <laughs> the super shotgun,
0: <laughs> double barrel, baby, lock Ooh. and load. Um, uh, I'm shooting plasma and ropes, ready to tell this story. And I'm like a robot spider, but with like a fucking evil brain Brain on the top of it. Like I'm fucking, <laughs> I'm crying I guess. Essentially, either way, 1990s ruled. Pizza was like the number one cool thing to do after school, and so was playing Doom. I let's let's talk about the personal experiences to begin with, Jake. Before we get into this story that has been told so many times that people, but if you haven't heard the story, dear listener. I'm excited to get to tell you this story By the way but if you have heard the story We're gonna we I have a bunch of Extra new secret facts That are not in Tony Kushner's Master of Doom It's Tony Kushner Or it's, is he? The, or is that the Angels of America guy it Might
1: be the Angels of America guy <laughs>
0: Either way, I have this to say to you right now. Mm-hmm. There are four to twenty facts that no one's ever heard before that I discovered in a fucking locked bookcase that I will tell you at the very end of the show. Okay. Fact Number one, the book Masters of Doom was actually written by David Kushner. Ah, <laughs> must have been Tony Kushner's brother. Angels of America, though, a very good uh play. So we should know it was the I mean it was, was also, about the, 90s, right? yeah, so it was also about the
1: nineties, right? Yeah, it was <laughs> also
0: about the nineties. And, you know, it was like Maybe scarier than Doom <laughs> the, Some of the, the things Being thrown around in that play Some of the concepts and ideas about how Homosexuals were treated back then But we're not going to get into that people Because we've got valuable real estate We're using up right now Bullshitting about how The, the, the writer of Angels in America And I want to say this about my personal experience Playing Doom I remember uh, we had um, I think it was a Gateway Mm-hmm. remember a gateway and came I remember in the cow box came in the cow box. We had missed. We had stuff like that. But I remember I went to the store and I finally got to pick up uh, one of those games that I'd been hearing all the fuss about for the longest time. I think the first one I ever played was doom two. I got Doom Two. That was the one that
1: was in retail boxes. So yeah,
0: right, and that was yeah. I went out to the store and got it. Um, I g- finally got it working. I was like really bad at getting games working on the PC at the time, um, and still am. Uh, and and I remember just loving it. I would play that game for hours and hours and hours all summer long, whatever summer that was. I was I was a youngin, uh, staying at home, trying not to be outside. And just really loved that game And replayed it I remember I got I think Whatever the pack was It was like the master levels Or something Mm -hmm. like that I couldn't get it to work I tried desperately To get this fucking thing to work I could not get that Pack of level Extra levels to work But either way um, I just had a really fun experience with it. Uh, I remember later going back and getting the original Doom, maybe even on console. I might have like rented it for the Genesis or something like There's that. There's no, no way. That way that no, came no no, 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 because Genesis. it was 32X. It was 32X. It must have been, I might have gotten it on PlayStation then. Oh, the PlayStation version was amazing. Yeah, PlayStation version was good. It actually did come out on Genesis technically with the 32X, but we will get to that later. I will also, I'm just excited to talk about the 32X and just how insane the Sega Genesis oh. was at the time with their add-ons and everything like no one does consoles like that anymore it's so fascinating so anyways that's mine what's yours
1: when i think of doom i think of playing deathmatch on the crudely networked uh computers at school and even better at fat camp Uh, I think I've gone into, like, the golden age that was the computer room at Fat Camp and how it was just, like, loaded to the brim with all the games because everyone was fucking nerds and we all cherished our, like, two precious hours a week indoors that they let us have. Um, But uh, more specifically, uh, uh, reading about this and its Software as a whole, it got me really nostalgic for the shareware era of games because... um, you know, I was still young, I was still a kid, or at least an early teen, and I had no financial uh, power to exert. If I wanted a new Nintendo game, I had to wait till a birthday, or uh, holidays, or anything like that. Uh, but in the shareware era, I could freely just consume and experiment with games as much as I wanted, and there was no shareware distributor that was more, or developer, that was more dominant than id so stuff like commander keen stuff like wolfenstein oh wow you played keen yeah oh wow And uh, the doom games Great. uh were just like were mine they were like and yes you had to fiddle with the dos prompt and you had to like make sure that the, the all the files were in place um at it by the end i was obsessed with installing conversions and like uh wa-
0: i had all the WADs. so you got the full doom experience like i only played really the basic single player mode on doom 2 no you I did it all Simpsons you did the wad doom, you did i the, played dragon yeah. ball
1: doom i played like yeah. everything
0: uh, no shit you really did and deathmatch and you did all that too yeah. which is which is wild to me because again like and we'll get into this you know i mean first of all this was kind of new with games in general but also um uh yeah, for me like all of that kind of stuff um I mean, I'm I'm a way late bloomer with multiplayer though online. I think my first online multiplayer game was fucking um uh The Division, you know? Wow. I mean, very recently like I was like, "Wait, what is this?" cuz I just felt really skeezed out about like playing games against strangers online it just is weird to me you know um, what I mean and but I'd it, like it, to mm-hmm. say
1: that like I, I kept with it into uh, the Quake era but unfortunately like all uh-huh. smart people I made the jump to Unreal Tournament yes so, un- you know it's, sh- it's just unfortunate that because as a smart person I had to go with Unreal Tournament um, you know they do the test and if you're a dumb dumb, <laughs> they give you Quake Arena <laughs> you Quake and Arena. if you're smart you, you
0: get Unreal Tournament if you can do sort of multiplication mm-hmm. like very basic stuff right if you know who the current president is yeah and <laughs> you can name the days of the week backwards that you can
1: that then you get on real tournament uh i know a lot of you are huge fans
0: of quake and for you i give you a big high five buddy high five buddy you get handed a hot dog and you say what do you do with this And if you do anything but say "eat it," they give you Quake Arena,
1: friend. Okay, you're gonna be rocket jumping. Enjoy.
0: (laughs) Me need mm, hot dog for um telling the time. All right, there you go. It's.
1: So like a lot of 90s developers our story starts with a bunch of teenagers that just happen to get good at computers in an era where nobody was good at computers. Yet. Hell,
0: yeah, Jake Young will make you suck his dick. What? <laughs> I'm just trying to give attitude to the episode oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. because later of course John R- R- Romero famously um did that with Dai katana Anyways, okay. Jake Young will take you
1: out on a couple of dates and then maybe if things are going right and after like things he reads the room correctly, he might like point at his pants and then like see where how that goes.
0: (laughs) Very good. Uh, (laughs) That's a lot to fit in a magazine ad, but it's true. So we've already mentioned a couple names, I think. John Romero and John Carmack. These are the two, the Johns, Mm -hmm. these are the two Main players in this story, the and they're yin, very fascinating the yang, guys. The mm-hmm. heart and the brain. Yes. The
1: engine and
0: the chassis. The wizard and the bruiser. Indeed. Indeed. Carmack's the wizard, Ramirez the bruiser, right? Mm-hmm. I would uh, say.
1: Whichever one's autistic, yes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, so when not you, a joke I'm I'm <laughs> able to make cha 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 oopsie doops well I'm not gonna lie to you guys we've been out drinking with a bunch of Wall Street and businessmen for the past two hours before we came in here to do this show okay so that's why we're a little nutty right now um, John Carmack he is uh, we'll start with him he's the son of a local television news reporter Stan Carmack he grew up in Kansas City he got really into computers at an early age just like his buddy future friend that he has not met yet in our story john uh, romero very inspired by pac-man as well as space invaders but mostly pac-man when carmack was 14 years old he broke into a school to help a group of children steal apple II computers and to gain entry to the building carmack concocted a sticky substance of thermite mixed with vaseline that melted through the windows Um, that
1: wouldn't trick trigger the window alarms it was a very out of the box um that that kind of like inventive thinking of solving an issue
0: like a seemingly unsolvable issue is really what his whole deal is what about. he does he yeah. takes you know he he takes a problem i mean he is like the quintessential programmer i mean he is the the, the, the quintessential like like programming is art too in a, in a way which romero has a quote about but uh, like essentially like you know this is like you know, like, so, like in the movie Swordfish and that guy's getting blown doing the <laughs> hacking. That's kind of like Rama- Carmack in sort of essence.
1: If instead of a blowjob, it's uh, him secluding himself away from all human contact.
0: You know, it's interesting because I feel like, in fact, I've, uh, uh, here it is, yeah. Uh, so, uh, b- by the way, uh, cut, to cut to the chase, this buddy is the one who got him, uh, the alarm uh, turned on and got him uh, arrested. But uh, he was sent for psychiatric evaluation, and the report mentions no empathy for other human beings um, and describes Carmack as a brain on legs. And a lot of this is like, wow, this almost sounds like, and he kind of looks like Dahmerish too. It sounds like he's like, could maybe be a serial killer. You know what I mean? From these descriptions. Carmack said a- a- about himself as a kid, I was sort of an amoral little jerk when I was young. I was arrogant about being smarter than other people, but unhappy that I wasn't able to spend all my time doing what I wanted. I spent a year in a juvenile home for a first offense after an evaluation by a psychiatrist went very bad. Badly, of course referring to what i was just speaking about he ends up attending university of missouri kansas city for two semesters before he goes to be a freelance programmer and, uh, around that time is when he gets a job working at a computer company in shreveport louisiana shreveport man shreveport yeah i'm a shrevy boy okay yeah i'm a shrev i mean you grew up close to the closer to there than i did but that's right Shreve, yeah, okay. I'm a sh- I'm Shreveport, baby. Okay. I, don't, I don't I just I just say everything uh, incorrectly. Uh, Shreveport, Shreveport, Louisiana, to work on Soft Disk. Soft Disk is a software and internet company founded in 1981. Its original products were disk magazines. Now this was like a, a different time than we have now. Disk magazines. This is essentially. Uh, publication, you know, I feel like at that time, like, CD-ROM and all that stuff was all the rage, you know, I remember just, like, going to a friend's house and, like, marveling at, he had, like, Encyclopedia Britannica on his computer and not a whole lot else, and we literally would just sit there and, like, do encyclopedia yeah yeah because it was just so novel at the time and this is i mean essentially the same thing i don't have a lot of experience with disc magazines but you just put the disc in your computer and it's essentially just a digital publication correct it's a digital publication with uh
1: where the value add would be that there'd be specific uh apps made in-house uh for, that were exclusive to, uh, what was Soft Softdisk
0: or what was yes, it? Yeah, Softdisk is um, the name of the company. Yes.
1: And uh, for Carmack, it was actually a huge deal to get hired uh, by Romero because Romero was a little bit older than him, but Romero was also this, like, wunderkind programmer who uh, was very obsessed with making uh, arcade-style games for the home computer and really making sure that they were fun, not just, like, uh, the kind of shitty ports and just kind of... Uh, uh, how do i say? we we kind of talked about this i think in the naughty dog episode that like early pc gaming was just fucking lame yeah it was yeah. like really bad a lot of just half-hearted contract work where people just just like it's Frogger fuck you I don't, I'm, working on a, I'm working on a Commodore pet what do you want I'm, fuck
0: Frogger and what's funny is like they kind of did that as a front which we'll get to for their real work that they were doing with Softdisk um, but you bring up John Romero of course also highly influenced by Pac-Man Space Invader I mean I feel like those are the big heavy hitters he at the time he talks
1: about how his awakening was he was this uh, arcade obsessed fool you know it was I guess the 70s at the time and uh or early 80s arcades were huge. And a friend of his was like, yo, I found a place where you can play all the video games you want for free. And John Carmack is like, what is this magical place? And he ended up going to the computer lab at a local university, ah. and from that moment on, he was just like, "Okay, this is my life. I'm obsessed with this." And a few months later, his family bought one of those
0: early Apple II's. His first game was an unpublished, uh, "Crazy Climber" clone. Uh Crazy Say that Climber, again? Crazy Climber clone. <laughs> uh, he was a, uh, it was a uh, Crazy Climber like a little guy climbing uh, skyscrapers. But his first published game was uh, Scout Search. This appeared in the June 1984 issue of Insider Magazine. He was a freelance game dev for eight years. That's a lot of fucking years before he even ends up at, um, he ends up over at Softest. Before he ends up at Softest though, crossover like a motherfucker right now. Romero's first industry job was at Origin Systems in 1987. If uh, This will probably ring a bell if you listen to our Bioshock episode. After programming games for um, eight years he finally gets a job at Origin and he's best known, uh, Origin rather, is best known for Ultima and the Wing Commander series. Romero ends up working on the, uh, on the Apple II to commodore 64 port of a game called 2400 ad and he ends up working with a guy again you probably remember from that episode paul nerath uh, on a game called space rogue before being asked by nerath right uh if he'd like to join his company blue sky productions later looking glass software um which would end up being you know making system shock and deus ex and all that good stuff um, and instead, though, Romero ends up leaving and co-founding a game company called Inside Out Software, where they are ported uh, Might and Magic 2 from Apple II to the Commodore 64 and whatnot. But he eventually ends up moving to Shreveport, Louisiana in March 1989 and joins Softdisk as a programmer in its special projects divisions and that is how our key players end up meeting each other they're at this place called soft disk softest
1: discovers that among the many productivity apps that they include in their uh monthly disc uh they actually it's the games that get the biggest reaction
0: yes that um
1: you know maybe you don't need like an accounting plugin maybe you don't need like some kind of pixel art editor or what i don't even know what
0: you did on old pcs uh <laughs> But encyclopedia the, dude I swear to god that's what you did you Softus literally just was looked at pre- the encycl- CD rom Oh like, right yeah yeah I guess um, so
1: Anyone can enjoy a game and with uh Romero's uh very like keen sense of fun and playability uh the games became very popular so uh Softus created what I think it was called Gamer's Edge
0: Yes Gamer's Edge which was a uh bi-monthly I believe uh Uh, situation. Um, Yeah, where do I have it right here? Um, But uh, it was uh, Romero, Carmack, uh, Tom Hall, who will
1: come into play. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, This was in July 1990. It was originally called PC Arcade, like PC, the letter R, Cade. Changed it to Gamer's Edge. Um, And, uh, yeah, he started to kind of – Romero kind of flagships this thing, correct, mm -hmm. and uh, brings these people on board, and they start making games – um, on uh, you know for soft disk, and um, while they're doing that, Carmack uh, he develops an efficient way to rapidly side scroll graphics on the PC. So right. side scrolling graphics. Let's can
1: I uh, let me can
0: I tag this one in? Please.
1: All right. So thing is, on uh, an on a, a uh, old style computer, like especially during the eight bit era, um, the processor was doing most of the heavy lifting. So it was one of the great challenges of early computing that the amount of cycles, the amount of horsepower it took to actually produce the image that you saw on the computer was just an annoying waste of cycles that you actually needed to do the computing that a computer is known for. And... Um, because of that it would always be like it, the computer gaming was always just fallen behind on specially built consoles specifically the nintendo um the nintendo entertainment system the famicom was this uh 8-bit computer that had a special picture processor and it used cartridge games that had like special added uh, memory chips and coprocessors that allowed it to uh just create brighter graphics bigger game worlds and specifically allowed fast loading of new visual information
0: on screen. Why it was referred to as the big hard dick of uh, the video game scene back in the uh, early
1: 90s. So a lot of uh, early early most early computer games, I'm gonna just say like nearly all, uh, you know, they had to like keep the window where the actual game was happening very small. We talked about that mm-hmm. a bunch in a lot of uh, previous episodes. And the
0: games would just be idiotic. It would just be like a ball, uh, just sort of slowly moving in a circle inside of a square, and you'd just be like, I don't, "There isn't even a game here." It just made no sense.
1: Uh, it's just that, like, just to keep the sprites on screen moving, you couldn't move the background. So, like, a lot of games, like, the PC version of Castlevania took place in single screens that kind of just looped from one end to the other Mm -hmm. without any scrolling. Yes. Um, Scrolling was just this immense drain on hardware resources. So, if you actually had it working, you couldn't have any code left to run to run the game. What Carmack did was he created a system called, um, I believe it's adaptive tile sorting.
0: Shit, I don't have it here. I, I Yes, I think that's actually what uh, it is though. Um, Something like that. For
1: lack of path. a better word, uh, he kind of streamlined how the background layer was rendered so that only the individual objects and tiles that needed
0: to be scrolled. Adaptive tile refresh. Refresh. Yes.
1: Only the sprites and tiles that needed to be scrolled actually like took up the, com- the processors time so uh what you had was the ability to create games that moved like nintendo games and this is a huge leap
0: forward especially for home computers so Romero has this character he's putting in his games called Dangerous Dave and uh Carmack ends up staying up all night with his buddy Tom Hall to make a replica of the first level of Super Mario Brothers 3 which was like the hugest game of the time with Romero's character Dangerous Dave in place of Mario on a PC Romero comes in the next day uh they uh, Carmack boots it up and uh Romero just flips the fuck out essentially he loses his Mind. this is like the most incredible thing he's ever seen um they called it dangerous dave and copyright infringement and um the, it's like we we've got we've got to make the whole thing let's do all of super mario brothers 3 with dangerous dave this in place. this
1: speaks is so hard to like how young and naive these guys were
0: yeah um, they just thought we'll make this thing we'll show it to nintendo they'll give us all oodles of cash and hey, mario will be on the pc hey
1: hey nintendo millions of people use PCs to game uh, most of it's stolen they steal a lot uh, but hear me out what if we took this one game that took you millions of dollars and years to make uh, and we just put it on systems that you don't get any money for if people buy them or not <laughs> so, It's like it's, but, but like the idea like to go from like oh let's make our own like Because Nintendo was the holy grail. Like, Nintendo was game daddy.
0: Yeah. And they were like, oh, this will make Game Daddy
1: so happy. Let's work hard
0: for Game Daddy. So so they end up uh, using the work computers after hours and on weekends. At this point, are they actually pulling the computers they out of the office? They are physically carrying right?
1: the computers out of the Putting office Putting them on in the trunks, weekend.
0: taking them to the uh, – whose house are they at? I forget. It was, it's some lake house or something, the, I believe. The,
1: yes, the lake house. Uh, Romero has photos of it. Yes. It's where they play D&D. Yeah. It's where they, like, collaborate and work on their games because, again – this is a very close team of only, like, four or five people, and they're chugging out these games for soft disc at, like, a record pace. Yes. And these games have to come out clean, they have to come out fun, and they have to come out on time. Mm-hmm. So all of these guys
0: just are completely, like, synced with each other. Yeah, working just insane hours, slamming pizzas, just... just- Diet Pepsi's flowing like honey wine. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so anyways, they end up... You know, of course, as as you kind of could tell by Jake's description, they they pitch it to Nintendo, and Nintendo by pitch, turns them I, down.
1: They send them and basically a pixel by pixel remake of Super Mario Brothers three. Um, Super Mario Brothers three was actually a landmark game for Nintendo because it could allow like uh, vertical and sideways scrolling.
0: Yes. That's, um, yes. So, when so, Mario would fly. You would. You would. You would the pan yeah, up into the air, and, and all that, that required stuff.
1: all sorts of graphical tricks. And like Carmack just kind of cut out the Carmack's algorithm was incredibly uh, efficient at kind of just making that functionality happen on uh, on hardware that was not ready for it. And Nintendo says. Fuck you.
0: Yeah, they're like, get get your ass to a strip club and watch <laughs> someone else get fucked because we're not going <laughs> to sit here and take any of this, okay? All right? And, um, you know, uh, they were devastated. Mm-hmm. But uh, not really. They're doing fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but at the same time, you've got this guy, Scott Miller at Apuji Software, uh, doing this new hot thing that you mentioned earlier, Shareware. Shareware is essentially... Um, the way he did it was you release like the first chunk of a game for free and if people like it enough they can buy the rest of it uh, for, a, for a certain amount of money. And it was all done online. Online
1: or uh, like at computer swap meets. The idea is you put that first chunk of software out there and the people who like it get a little screen that says, hey, if you want to play the rest, send a literal check. Write a check, put it in an envelope, put it in the U.S. Postal Service, and then I personally will cash the check, take a floppy diskette, copy it from my computer, put it in a little envelope,
0: and send it to you. Right, more manual than I was even referring to. Yeah, it's so rudimentary, like completely insane. It reminds me of like mailing off stuff – From, like, cereal boxes and stuff like that. You know what I mean? It's like
1: publishing – it's like releasing your movie through Craigslist. It's so, like – but because it cuts out the publishers and it cuts out the retailers and it cuts out the marketing team, basically, even if your freeware – okay, so your shareware game, uh, maybe 30,000 people buy it, that's all profit that goes directly to you. Hmm. So you can be, like, a millionaire much like – if you have a hit shareware game, you are like so, so set for life and you don't have to give a cut to anybody and there's nobody breathing down your neck. So these are fiercely independent creators making games on like that they want to play and just kind of getting the dream, it's kind of like podcasting. Yeah. Just kind of just blasting it out there and whoever comes and nibbling comes and nibbling. Patreon.com slash whizbrew for bonus episodes every week. We've got bonus episodes. We've got,
0: we will, we will call, we will call you. We'll call you on the phone. We will actually physically send you stuff like it was shareware. <laughs> if you want to grab lunch, I'm around. Just hit up the Patreon. Um, we appreciate all of our patrons. Thank you so much for, uh, for your support. And, uh... This guy Scott Miller, he's a big fan of Dangerous Dave, the character and video game that Romero and Carmack and all of them um, put out on through Softdisk. But um, he he needs to find a way to get contact with them uh, through Softdisk. That's the only way he he knows to contact them is through the Softdisk address. But at the same time, he can't let like the powers that be at Softist know what he's doing because he's essentially trying to like steal them and their work mm-hmm. from out of from under Softist nose. So he starts writing these fan letters to Romero and Romero's getting like a huge kick out of this. It's like oh my god I actually have a fan this is like amazing. He hangs the letters on his wall. He's so excited about it and after a while another fan letter comes in from another fan he's like oh my god I can't believe this I have fans this is like incredible and after a while he realizes all these fan letters are coming in from different fans but they all have the same return address. How fucking stupid is this guy? Not only just like the return address,
1: he sees the return address. He sees the address for Apogee software in a computer magazine because they're doing a profile (laughs) of him. Because Apogee's doing tits tits galore. Um and uh he's like, wait a minute, why do I know that that PO box fuck (laughs) God damn it. I've been done had
0: (laughs) so uh I just you know it's it's kind of a like a well told story like it's been told a lot. This tale to Masters of Doom, um, by Tony Kushner's brother, and it's like it's a very well-known story. And the more I hear it, I'm just like, how fucking stupid do you have to? Unless he's did, did he do it on purpose so that he would eventually figure out that it was from the same address and hit him up? I guess okay. No, no, a, he
1: literally. Uh, you can see uh, scans of the original letters, and um, you know, the Apogee guy is like, "Hi, I am a big fan of pyramids of Egypt," which is the dangerous Dave. Uh, game that he wanted to, you know, uh, uh, get a sequel for. He's like, have you ever thought of doing? other levels uh, you should probably contact me I have some ideas also I found a very important bug you should contact me and I'll let you know like how to if uh, how to resolve so
0: easy to put a different return address on the thing like why would you not use different names because he thought he wasn't getting through it's it's, so just what are we doing here guys what is happening well anyway yeah I don't want to I don't want to harp on it too much but if you'd like to hear me scream about that for a full 30 to 45 minutes.
1: Holding screams for thirty to forty minutes. <laughs>
0: um, uh, you can you can hear that some other place. I don't know. I'm gonna, I'm working on it. Okay, I'm working on another podcast. All right, where I just talk about this one part of this one story every week for hours and hours. I'll have guests. I'll have musical numbers. It'll be fucking amazing. Um, why did he use the same return address? That's not the best idea. (laughs) Please support my Patreon, patreon.com forward slash holding screams about this one part of this one story. (laughs) All right, and that's also the name of the podcast.
1: Apogee ends up publishing Commander (laughs) (laughs) Keen.
0: And it does pretty well, and so well that they decide to take this new way of side-scrolling that they were able to do on the PC and apply it to an original game of their own as opposed to some dumb nintendo franchise uh
1: it basically uh it launches the pc side scroller uh even duke nukem the original duke nukem not duke nukem 3d uh uses uses the technique because john romero was hanging out with the original dev, dev and like showed it to him mm. uh the look of commander keen is actually the work of tom hall Ah. Who is uh yes, a
0: big player in this story that gets largely overlooked. Um this guy was a, bi- a, a big part of the early days of Id.
1: Uh is, you know, so like the goofy sense of humor and the spacey sensibility, uh everything from like the little aliens to the dope fish, uh he like it's Tom Hall's vision. It's like quaint, it's friendly, it's bouncy. He's going for that family-friendly Nintendo vibe. So just kind of like re- remember Tom Hall as like the um, as like the friendly goofy guy, yeah, <laughs> like the 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 fun uncle of the group. Yes, Just exactly, keep that in mind. exactly. He's the, he's like one of the major creative forces behind Commander Keen. As like Romero is working on like gameplay and like kind of the feel of it, and uh, Carmack is you know refining the engines. Uh, Tom Hall is like being like, what if he got a what if we got a yo-yo bounce a pogo stick? <laughs>
0: pogo sticks are fun. So they're making Commander Keen, um, and this is uh, around the end of 1990. They, they put it out, and it becomes a very successful shareware game through Apogee, and uh, after they get their first royalty check, they d- decide to form their own game dev company. Um, at first, at 1st they're working as, what is it? Um, ideas from the Deep? Ideas from the Deep, yes. Uh, at first, they're working as a collective called Ideas from the Deep. When they decide to actually like incorporate and everything, they initially... Um, They initially uh, were working with the phrase in demand, but they decided that was like too lame. And then someone from the group suggested the Freudian psychological concept of the id, which is the disorganized part of the personality and structure, a human's basic instinctual drives, the animalistic side of the brain. Now around this time too, though Softus becomes aware of what the fuck they're doing.
1: So to ease the uh, tension and to like, kind of like show that there's no hard feelings, uh, Its software in addition to continuing to make commander keen games is also committed to producing games for gamers edge soft disc whatever for like i I forget how long like six months or something afterwards so while they're working on their money horse they have this obligation to keep cranking out games Mm -hmm. and these games that they make for soft disc actually provides a brilliant excuse for them to experiment yes. with new
0: tech and new uh, new ideas. That tech, namely, is trying to have fast a fast action game in 3D on PC. Like that tile thing we were talking about, like that um, scrolling thing, rather, we were talking about just before with 2D side-scrollers. Um, at the moment, in the current climate, um, th- there's a really a lot of difficulty trying to do fast... Action in a 3D environment on PC because of the number of surfaces it needed to calculate uh, uh, in order to make that happen. But in 1991, Carmack experiments with limiting the possible surfaces the computer needed to display, creating game levels with walls designed only on a flat grid rather than with arbitrary shapes and angles. It was achieved through ray casting. Now, ray casting is is uh, uh, essentially. Um, computing the color of the light without recursively tracing additional rays that sample the radiance incident on the point that the ray hit. Jake, what does it mean? Okay. um, What does it mean? So there's always been 3D
1: maze games. It's like one of the oldest uh, genres, dungeon crawlers. Monkey maze. Midi MIDI fighter or whatever. Maze,
0: but not like the corn, like uh, the difficulty to get around an area maze. 3d blaster uh there was um maze days there okay. was <laughs> Willie willy mazes big stupid maze um you, you done
1: <laughs> <laughs> so this is this is a weird point it cont- can okay so um you, the ability to create po- po- polygons like what you think of as 3d was still far away uh computers weren't there graphics processors weren't there but you could create a very like slick illusion of navigating through 3D space through uh, a process known as binary space partition and raycasting, and uh, what that did is basically what you think of as a as a Wolfenstein or a Doom map is actually a 2D map. It is a flat pixel map. Yes, and the engine kind of places the your your viewpoint. As this like you know it it note know, it knows what position you're facing and it knows where you're moving, and a imagine a line a ray scanning across the two d uh thing, so the ray knows that it's hit an object because on the map there's a two d object, yes, and it like scans and it'll know because of how far it is from the player from the player dot how tall it'll be, what angle it'll be and by shoot you know by scanning multiple times a second, you can like it can build a 3D ish image. So I'm trying to think of it this way. So your little guy your little dot is near a wall, the ray kind of scans across the wall and it knows like the wall gets smaller as the ray gets longer away from it. Am I making sense? Yes,
0: yes, totally.
1: So that's how a cube, like, you know, a little square on the map looks like a
0: perfectly like 3D object Mm. on your screen. And they can't do, you know, they can't do anything... Besides the basics, there's there's no uh, there's no like levels at all, like in terms of um, like uh, stacked access. on top. There's no uh, they're they're not able to rend- render reflections, refractions, or the natural fall off of shadows. Nothing like that. This is a very simple square based grid of uniform form height walls, meeting solid colored floors and ceilings. Um, but and
1: Carmack is like working on trying to streamline how this process goes down. He's trying to cut out as much fat as possible so that this rendering can happen as as quickly and as fun as like an arcade game that you're used to that yeah. it's that you're not like chugging along and like it You know, it, everyone's had that experience where like you're trying to run a game that your computer isn't like good enough for and it just ruins it
0: yeah yeah and I, so
1: he knew that like it's not important to have the most advanced tech or you know the most uh I guess stark visuals it's about smoothness
0: and and you know we're we're talking and it's also to be noted and of course we're we're working i don't even think we've said the words wolfenstein 3d yet no we're at the hover tank stage right now. yeah yeah but but um just to give you a visual we're kind of moving towards that and um another thing is like if you notice that game it's it's pretty claustrophobic it's a tiny little series of rooms that you're moving through um and that is again because like a giant open area would take Take more memory, take more processing power. The ray would have, to,
1: would have more, would, it would has more area to scan. Yes. And it would take longer to render. Um, yeah. But, so, through soft disk, through their obligations, they're experimenting with ray casting engines. First with a game called Hover Tanks, mm-hmm. uh, which has only flat walls. They can't really capture texture. The player
0: drives a tank through a plane of colored walls and shoots nuclear monsters. Check it out. Very rudimentary stuff. Like, super, super, super duper simple. But, now,
1: uh-huh. But uh, Catacombs 3D,
0: yes, well introduces ca- wall textures. But you know, Catacombs 3D was heavily inspired. Yet again, you know, how fucking Bioshock was like heavily inspired by Ultima Underworld, Stygian Abyss. This game,
1: so was Elder Scrolls. So this that game underworld
0: fucking (laughs) sparked a million fires like it's insane it's insane Uh, uh, so uh blue sky productions put this game out um it it uh it was uh, had a huge impact as we said it's a dungeon crawler which had texture map 3d graphics and um it it uh, essentially is what uh, Carmack saw turn around and enhanced his own 3D engine uh, based on what he saw from that for another soft disc, soft disc game, Catacomb 3D, which essentially sounds like a straight-up knockoff of Stygian Abyss. Um, th- this release gets Scott Miller to Poji chomping at the bit for a 3D shareware action game. So that is... Um, that is essentially where we get to uh, the point when, hey, they're they're in between games. Essentially, they're they're almost at the end of their you know the shackles on them from the the softest situation. Uh, their Commander Keen series is getting near completion, and they're at the point where they're like, well, what is our next step?
1: Two things that I just want to mention that Catacombs did uh, is uh, it introduced the player avatar on screen. And the health was represented by your face getting more and more fucked up as you got hit. Yes. Uh, to the point where you were just a skull with a buzz cut. No shit they, that was in. Yeah that was in uh, Catacombs 3D. And secondly uh, instead of uh, a lot of these dungeon crawlers because they were based on uh, Dungeons and Dragons uh, and traditional RPGs uh, were focused on melee combat. You would kind of like saunter up to a thing and then you'd like your little sword would go down and the monster would be like brr and it would be kind of boring. Uh, Catacombs focused more on range combat, and the way they communicated that was through this glowing hand coming out from the center of the screen. So, like, it created a more uh, addictive and immersive idea of a first-person shooting experience.
0: And Catacombs 3D also had this glowing hand, by the way. Like, Yeah. Um, so, anywho, uh, uh, Romero is essentially comes up with... Uh, doing a remake of 1981's Castle Wolfenstein. And uh, the reason why is because it works on a few different levels. They all enjoyed the game as a kid, all the people in play here. Uh, it, 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 it was a maze-like shooter, which would work very well with what John Carmack was doing with his engine. And uh, it also had a darker sort of setting and style, and adrian carmack and i love every time you see adrian carmack like in wikipedia whatever it always says right next to it no relation to john carmack (laughs) it's just happened to be that the there was a guy named john carmack as the programmer and that the artist that they brought in to work with them his name was adrian carmack but they have absolutely no relation together um and he had a much darker art style and he was kind of like lamed out by a lot of the commander keen stuff and like (laughs) the stuff tom hall wanted to do um Apparently, John Romero and Tom Hall got along really well comedically, but Adrian always wanted to kind of bring back this fucking darker, edgier style. That was kind of more his thing. And so, you know, Romero proposes a loud and cool fast action game where the player could shoot soldiers before dragging and looting their bodies. And the core of the gameplay would be fast and simple for Romero believed that due to the novelty of a 3d game and control scheme, players would not be receptive to more complicated, slow gameplay. And at that point, everything was Kind of more complicated and slow. The gaming sort of mm. uh, the industry standard. Games like Ultimate Underworld, yeah. Uh,
1: were yeah much more methodical, slow moving,
0: inventory management, w- tons of menuing, and all this kind of stuff. They wanted to remove all of that and have a situation where you just got into the game and you're just and you're just moving. I mean, you have to realize, you know. Um, none of first-person shooters as we know them now, which seem to have just kind of always been around, were just, did not exist really Mm -hmm. until this time. I mean, there were like little seeds that that seemed like you know they were kind of moving in the direction of what a first person shooter would one day become but there's such an industry standard now whereas before um I mean we'll get to this later but I mean before all like before first person shooters were known as first person shooters they were known as doom clones mm-hmm. that's how impactful this game was in terms of the style of of what an fps Actually, is
1: even the games where you were like in a first-person perspective, uh, usually like you were in a cockpit, or you know, they just because of the limitations, you had to like really narrow the available screen real estate. Well, Wolfenstein, because of all the uh, uh, kind of shortcuts and efficiencies that they figured out, was a much bigger screen and it allowed you much more freedom of movement and was much more immersive.
0: I love this quote from Carmack uh, in regards to that about work ethic. He says, "Focused hard work is the real key to success. Keep your eyes on the goal and just keep taking the next step towards completing it. If you aren't sure which way to do something." Do it both ways and see which works better it's all about just like trying all the different angles and really like seeing seeing uh, you know, giving it every every which way a shot, so that you can try to get to your goal. So Wolfenstein 3D hits uh, hard. Um, they their first check from Apogee uh, was for a hundred and a hundred thousand dollars. That was that was literally just like the first check. People are loving this fucking thing. It just it completely just destroys the whole the whole industry climate in terms of this. And it's a shareware game, and it's you know an unknown dev company. And it's really kind of incredible um, how they were able to make such a big splash using the share the shareware uh, format for distributing a game mm. and using all these different... I mean, innovation is happening like eight different ways in this story, right? As we talk about it. Right now, it's really the shareware concept um, and then mixed with uh, this new fast 3D style of shooter that no one ever seen before, mixed with... And it's not like this necessarily wasn't happening at the time, but they really they really got the pulse of this mixed with blood and guts, super violent, Nazis, you know, let's mecha
1: Hitler punching dogs in the f- no, I'm sorry, this is wolfenstein, well stabbing dogs in the <laughs> face.
0: <laughs> you know, just being like hyper hyper and I mean, I know I remember at the time, I mean we're talking about the early 90s, we're just about to usher in the whole grunge, you know, brooding Ultra violent, and anti- you know, in comic books, you've got the anti-heroes like Spawn and stuff like that that are about to be, uh, you know, the huge, most hugely popular thing. B- music like from like Nine Inch Nails and Tool and all this stuff's about action movies with like Schwarzenegger and Stallone. Yeah, it's 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 just it's just hyper violent, dark brooding you know all all that kind of stuff and and so this game just really hits at the perfect time but this is just the beginning obviously we haven't even talked about the development of the actual game that this episode is named after and we are 46 minutes (laughs) into this episode uh uh the real the real hitter is uh you know yet to come it's 1992 and john carmack is working on an engine called the Doom Engine. He makes use of a system called binary space partitioning, which is a generic process of recursively dividing a scene into two until the partitioning satisfies one or more requirements. It's essentially just this specific way to kind of um, uh, uh, make more complex level design.
1: So remember how we talked about the ray casting? Yes. And how, uh, you know, it was important that... How much the ray has to scan uh, is shortened. So this allows much larger maps uh, to be had because the computer knows like that. It, like the the bit that the ray has to check is cut down. Mm. so like there's no wasted computer cycles trying to like figure out what's far away because the engine knows like don't even bother with something over there just like shoot the ray in this small part
0: each sector within the level has a linked list of things stored in that sector as each sector is drawn the sprites are placed into a list of sprites to be drawn if not within the field of view these are ignored allowing the computer to essentially just do way more with how little it actually has to work with
1: it also uh all of the and uh all of this is textured so yes. it's not flat uh flat uh you know colors um
0: and we don't this, have those yeah boring ceilings and floors everything as is, is drawn in and and more interesting looking
1: and uh they basically doubled they basically put a lot of faith in the fact that home computers would jump from the 286 platform to the 386 platform which Uh, meant more memory and more processing power. And they wanted to be like, they basically wanted to take full advantage of that like nascent leap in power that they knew was right around the corner
0: also they had uh pl- they were able to start playing with light levels as well which was a giant step for uh forward for doom and the engine
1: vi- knew that things that were farther away were going to appear a little bit darker so it gave more atmosphere and, and being you a able better to, sense
0: being able to do that for a game set in hell you mm-hmm. know um and on mars uh is is very um is very useful, like a horror, more horror-themed game. Their main influences were Aliens, uh, the film Aliens, and Evil Dead 2, Um uh john carmack apparently came up with the title of doom he said there is a scene in the color of money where tom cruise shows up at a pool hall with a custom pool cue in a case what you've got what you what you've got in there asked someone doom replies cruise with a cocky grin that and the resulting carnage was how i viewed us springing the game on the industry Uh, you also
1: uh, don't forget that the idea of uh, fighting hordes and hordes of demons was inspired by uh, their Dungeons and Dragons yes. game.
0: Yes, so they had this D and D game set in a, a, a crazy world with with demons and things. And um, doesn't like doesn't the world end? I believe
1: they literally wrote themselves into a corner because they ended up flooding their universe with hordes of demons, (laughs) and Uh,
0: uh, so yeah, that was a huge, huge part of it. Who was the DM? I'm uh, I'm trying to remember. I believe Carmack was right.
1: I also, uh, it also kind of like how in the Bioshock episode we explained the uh, logic that it took to go like how everything kind of emerged naturally from their own limitations. So like they wanted to fight hordes of demons, but they had to like keep it enclosed. So uh, where are they fighting demons in a base, a military base of some kind? Uh, why would there be demons in a military base? Because science has gone too far. Because the evil corporations dealt with powers they didn't understand. That's alien. And that,
0: yeah, yeah, and that's about as far as it goes, and right? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I was just gonna say, uh, you know, Tom Hall, he created this whole design doc that he called the Doom Bible. Oh, he, he yeah. He had all these ideas and and all of this stuff, and um, essentially all of it was thrown out for the the very that very those very simple con- concepts. Uh, at the
1: height of Wolfenstein fever it actually put out a press release for Doom saying that it would be like the most devastating, world-conquering game. You can find a copy of it online. I wish I I had it in front of me. Uh, Something like, we will be responsible for millions of dollars in lost productivity. Like, you are not ready for Doom. But Carmack was still working on his engine. So yeah, Tom Hall was, like, building all these, like, like, plans for, like, how the computer room would lead to the refrigeration bay and, like, had all these grand ideas about the story and, like, the brave men and women that fought the demons and how, like... He desperately wanted there to be an opening cinematic where like the other space Marines were like playing cards and talking about their wives. (laughs) And like Carmack and Romero were just like, "Our you can't handle that. We're not doing that. (laughs) And that pissed Hall off because already this wasn't his style. He was the Commander Keen guy.
0: Carmack says, "Personally, I've always been of the sleek and minimalist design school. Make sure the core play is consistent and strong, then let the idea play out against different environments and challenges. This tends toward focusing on biomechanical twitch responses, audiovisual awe, and learning more leaning more toward general strategy and tactics development over specific puzzle solving. It was all it was all just like brute force right in front of your face, and it essentially um, is that the point where Tom Hall resigns? I believe. Um, essentially, I think Tom Hall. Yes, uh, he ends up. Um, it ends up leading to his forced resignation because he essentially has no use anymore. Because they're just like, no, the game is this simple. This is what it is, and and that's that. Um,
1: Don't worry. He goes on to make uh, Rise of the Triad, and it's super fun. Nice. And then he goes on to he bounces around a lot Ion Storm we won't get into uh last I heard he was working at the company that like ended that made Diner Dash
0: <laughs> whatever <laughs> that's amazing most of the level design that ended up in the final game is that of uh, John Romero and Sandy Peterson's now Sandy Peterson worked on ni- 1991 Civilization and would go on to work on Age of Empires along with multiple board games in a, ta- in a tabletop the tabletop RPG uh Call of Cthulhu um, so he's actually a quite prolific and got in there at the right time exactly to be working on this game. And uh, the graphics uh, done by uh, Adrian Carmack, Kevin Cloud, and Grigor punchats were all modeled in various ways they were they were uh drawn painted several of the monsters were built from sculptures in clay or latex which is super cool to look at online and uh, some of the weapons were actually toy guns from toys r us it's kind of amazing i need to find out which weapons were i mean you can guns.
1: find pictures of those original like clay models that they used for stuff like uh the the hell baron and like uh, the cyber demon and the mastermind, and they're fucking freaky looking. Uh,
0: you also have Bobby Prince creating the heavy metal soundtrack. He also did Wolfenstein 3D and would go on to do Duke Nukem 3D. He, uh, according to John Romero, um, he uh, several tracks of the game are copies of songs from popular heavy metal bands like Pantera and Alice in Chains. Uh, also, deathmatch mode, which we haven't even really talked about. That's another thing they're creating uh, for the game. That's actually more influenced by fighting games, like Street Fighter II, Fatal Fury, Art of Fighting. Uh, how can we essentially make this a uh, more competitive thing um, or at times a co-op thing? And uh, again, we're just kind of right on the edge of all that stuff. I mean, the, de- the deathmatch thing is, you know, it's the first... Uh, well actually not true the first death match on record is a game called maze war which is an fps released in 1974 i looked up a picture of it you know i was describing the like square with the dot moving around in a circle as a joke this like looked like it was literally like two lines and like you could just barely tell what was happening you know i mean if if, 1974 right um so anyways um so doom though also apparently i believe romero coined the phrase deathmatch yeah. Which is still used today. I mean, uh, to describe the the thrill of like
1: running through claustrophobic hallways with like looking for upgrades and looking for health packs and like finding another player and hoping you can gank them before they can gank you, like. That had to have been the most addictively fun thing that like no one else had really It
0: was on. being banned at companies because people were actually like really like not working and playing deathmatch mo- all like, day. They didn't have network bandwidth to spare and Doom would just grind it to a halt. It would actually affect id themselves. They were they were at times like Carmack was the only one who was like an endless workaholic. The rest of the guys were st- were starting to play deathmatch too much to to get to work on the new game or whatever, you mm-hmm. know? So that it was starting to become an issue with them. So right now we have the innovation of a fast 3D first person shooter game which had never really happened before. We've got the innovation of this fucking the satanic, dark, violent um this you know, combination style. of horror,
1: sci-fi and death metal that uh had never been like really combined before
0: in, in a like in like the mass perfect mass way for product, this guess. point in the 90s.
1: Slayer meets HR Giger meets uh Ash from Evil
0: Dead, like, and then on top of that, you've got uh, the Deathmatch thing, An- another innovation. On it's innovation on top of innovation of just this super addictive, fast paced, competitive uh, shooting game that everybody is getting way into. And then to add even more innovation onto all of this, oh, and then and then share- uh, Shareware as well being so huge at the time and them just like nailing it at the exact right time to be getting in contact with the guy to Epogee. Uh, and then we've got Wads, short for Where's all the data. You see Carmack himself is hugely hugely a proponent of sharing code of of letting the mods, letting yeah, letting the players do whatever they want. We talked about this a lot in the Rockstar episode cuz they had the same kind of approach. For, for gaming, they wanted everyone to access everything. Well, this was his way of doing it. It was these uh, it were these files. Essentially, with Wolfenstein 3D, folks had figured out how to create their own levels. Well, Carmack wanted to lean into this and designed the Doom internals from the ground up to allow players to extend the game. The default format of package files for the video game Doom and its prequel Doom 2 Hell on Earth that contain sprites, levels, and game data essentially are what make up WADs. It's essentially just like... Like, these folders with all of the all of the toys, all of the assets, and you can kind of do whatever you want with it.
1: Still apparently a little too hard for you, but, you know. Just...
0: <laughs> I couldn't even make the wads that other people made work for my game. That's how bad I was at understanding that. I was very confused. I actually remember seeing wads, too. I, like, remember seeing that and just being like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> I didn't have a single person to communicate with this stuff about, by the way. Or, like... I guess I could have looked it up on the internet, on Ask Jeeves. (laughs) You know what I
1: mean? (laughs) Hey, Lycos, how do I get Bart (laughs) Simpson into hell? (laughs) So, um... Like the Lycos reference? I could have gone Alta Vista. You could have
0: gone Alta Vista. You could have gone Alta Vista. I guess Internet Explorer was the big one at the time. Fuck you,
1: Netscape for life, you fucking cop. You internet
0: explorer, you cop. Okay, fine, Jake. I guess I'll just... Tell everybody right here, right now, I'm a cop, okay? I've been a secret police officer for the past 10 years. They needed me to figure out who murdered some dog in my neighborhood, and I figured it out first. So they said, here, you're an honorary cop. And then the mayor was like, honorary schmonerary, make that boy a cop. And I passed all the tests, all right? I didn't smoke weed for like a week, and I passed the test. So fine, ladies and gentlemen, I moonlight as a police officer, um and that is my story and i'm sticking to it remember when i did all those maze game names mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> i try not to but it happened i'm on fire today um so anyways Carmack says, uh, I still remember the first time I saw the original Star Wars Doom mod. Seeing how someone had put the Death Star into our game felt so amazingly cool. I was so proud of what had been made possible, and I was completely sure that making games that could serve as a canvas for other people to work on was a valid direction. Um... There were so many notable people. I mean, people ended up doing like getting way into wads, and they would end up becoming like til- Tim Willits. He would later become a lead designer at ID. Dario Casali was hired at Valve uh, and worked on Half Life. Um, American uh, fucking McGee. Mm-hmm. John Anderson and Matthias Warch were level designers for the Unreal series. So, which if you were a smart person during the time that came out, <laughs> then of course you would have played that. Uh, Carmack says of this sharing the code just seems like the right thing to do it costs us rather little but it benefits a lot of people in sometimes very significant ways um There are many university research projects, proof of concept, publisher demos, and new platform test beds that have leveraged the code. Free software that people value adds wealth to the world. I love that phrase. Free software that people value adds wealth to the world. Romero says of this, you're headed in the right direction when you realize the customer viewpoint is more important than the company viewpoint. It's more productive to learn from your customers instead of about them. Um, And then once you've learned all those things, you should publicly tell them all (laughs) that you will make them all your bitch. (laughs) <laughs> you also forgot, suck it down, which is also in that fucking ad. Is also in that ad. We'll get to that. I, we'll guys, talk about Daikatana. I think in, a, in another episode. These
1: guys are rolling in money. Uh, they're buying Ferrari Testarossas left and right. Yeah, Carmack. Like first, uh, everyone in the team like buys actual homes for themselves. Uh, Carmack stays in his one bedroom apartment and buys two Ferrari Testarossas. <laughs> um, they're working on uh, Doom Two, which they are going to. Which Having finally reached like the critical mass, that shareware no longer makes sense. They actually need the support of retail. Uh, they create Doom 2 for the retail market. It's like a boxed thing. Uh, the engine gets uh, uh, pimped out to other games. Uh, Heretic and Hexen.
0: Uh, Romero helps a lot on that. Um, it was it, in, in late 1995. Just to let, just to give you this, uh, and we'll use this phrase again. Doom becomes a killer app. Mm-hmm. A killer app is essentially like a product, like hardware of a certain type. It like can't come without it. Mm-hmm. it. Like every, it needs to be on everything. 1995, Doom was estimated to be installed on more computers worldwide than Microsoft's uh, new uh, operating system, Windows 95. Uh, despite their multi-million dollar advertising campaigns. It led Microsoft to hire it to port Doom to Windows because they're trying to now uh, promote Windows 95 um as a gaming platform and uh, actually the dev team that worked on this uh was led by gabe newell of mm-hmm. steam by the way a little tidbit oh, there is this
1: that's where that really embarrassing clip of uh bill gates in the trench coat yeah weirdly holding a gun wrong <laughs> it's yes. like
0: hey guys i'll see you all at the doom because they put zone. him in the game yeah. or it's whatever very bad it's very it bad YouTube. see you when yeah satan rolls
1: uh right I think... I was uh, a billionaire at age 18. I don't know what people are like. (laughs) Kablawee!
0: So, yeah, and it influences every other game. I mean, if you think about it, anything... Call of Duty Mm -hmm. is, like, wouldn't exist, essentially, without...
1: Well, Call of Duty specifically uses the Quake engine. Yeah. So, like,
0: it really wouldn't have existed. Like, completely insane. So, their next big project's gonna end up being Quake. We're not gonna really go too deep into that stuff. Um, We'll talk a little bit of it, probably, on on another episode, but... um, Either either way, this game is just turns them into rock stars essentially, and at the same time, is just the most influential thing. Uh, you know, may, may, Doom may be the most influential game in all of gaming. Maybe like Pac-Man because Pac-Man influenced Doom. Like, <laughs> I mean, in terms of
1: running away from monsters in a maze. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, totally. Um, Romero, uh, uh, in response to what makes. A classic game. Romero has this to say. It was to be well-timed. I'm sorry. It has to be well-timed. It needs to have the right components that maybe contain emerging technologies or something like, say, when Doom came out, the network play. There weren't many games like that. There was a really great 3D world that a lot of people hadn't seen. It was light years ahead of Wolfenstein. It was shareware, so it had internet distribution. We used the internet to get it all over the place. So it used a lot of stuff that was just becoming popular at the time. It just capitalized on that. and like, Like five different things right wads the three fast-paced 3d the deathmatch the fucking uh, 90s as fuck uh, theme and style um, and a fifth thing that uh, I don't know yet <laughs> uh, rocking synthesized guitar riffs yes absolutely it, it was it was just incredible uh, it was also the first um, One of the first video games To get an M rating uh, For the Genesis 32X And by the way The Sega Genesis 32X Was an add-on To the Genesis console It's just this big well, You're on a 32X thing. kick Did because, you have one? No But I remember wanting one And just being like And then looking back in And now It's like so insane Same with Sonic and Knuckles you could put Sonic, the Sonic and Knuckles cartridge in the thing mm-hmm. and then flip the top thing and then put a, another cartridge on top of the cartridge. That's ridiculous. Why would be, Why were
1: people doing stuff like that? Uh, several compromises due to the limitations of hardware at the time.
0: So anyways, um, they, all, they then follow up with Doom 2 Hell on Earth. Essentially, they just took advantage of advances in computer hardware since the release of the original game, um, which allowed them to do more with the, the game engine, um, making larger, more intricate levels. We were talking about, because I remember with Doom, they actually had outside moments mm-hmm. and big kind of spacious courtyards and stuff. And all these things we were talking about, they weren't able to do before. They were now able to create in uh, with Doom 2. Also... That had stronger multiplayer functionality. It had LAN uh, functionality added, uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, and this is around the time, also when Dwango is uh, created, which is uh, the dual the the dial up wide area network game operation. This is a matchmaking service for online multiplayer that was created in early 1994 by Bob Huntley and Key Kimbrell in Houston, Texas. They essentially did the same thing that uh, the ID guys did back in the day with Nintendo. They just they went they went straight to the source. They pitched them on it uh but this time Romero uh while the other guys said no fuck off we don't we don't need your services Romero really believed in it and thought it was kind of uh, amazing that it was ended up becoming incredibly popular and it was insane how it worked it was uh it was uh 895 a month and you had to call in to Houston to do the service you had to like call them up or whatever or 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 use a, I'm sorry use a dial up modem rather um uh, in order to use the service and if you weren't in texas it was a long distance charge apparently and some people were you calling from as far as italy and australia to use the service it had 10,000 subscribers it was completely huge and they started building more systems in other cities by 1997 they had systems in 23 cities around the world this is like the the beginnings of what like Xbox Gold would be or, mm-hmm. or Xbox Live rather or like PlayStation Network I mean these guys were at the forefront of matchmaking systems things like that because that didn't just like come internally with your console and your game you know you had to like have a separate service just to be just to allow people to get together and make make things uh make things happen so again another innovation happening in this one game people are getting like really into the online competitive scene people are getting really into um you know the 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 modding scene this is all happening with this one fucking title and that is why doom is so huge and so profoundly important to video games that's why people it is always talked about i feel i think sometimes people can look at what it is and just be like what is this like satanic nonsense like 90s as fuck thing? What is this? Like why is this such a big deal? It's kind of grainy. It's kind of, you know, it's obviously in certain ways doesn't hold up. I mean to somebody it like It holds,
1: you know what? It on I I'm it does hold up. That is one of the things that makes Doom Doom.
0: It's just um, the
1: the movement, the yeah. The movement, the gameplay loop, the 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 when things are going at full blast and you got a full tank of ammo, uh maybe you have god mode going. I don't I'm not going to judge. Uh, but juggling all these enemies, moving, dodging, uh, making use of the environment, uh, blowing up those noxious green barrels—it still really works. Uh, Holden, I'm just gonna suggest to you: it's, uh this week, you really got to check out Brutal Doom. Okay, which is kind of the legacy uh, uh, fan-like kind of version of Doom that has been uh, worked on for, I think, decades at this point. Um, it is still immensely fun. Doom awesome. is still. Incredibly fun,
0: and hell, I mean, Doom is still incredibly fun with its remake as well, and that's something we'll get into in the next episode. There's so much more Doom to talk about. We've got all all of the games that came out after Doom One and Doom Two, and the phenomenal Bethesda remake. We'll get into all that stuff. Also, we can cover you know the rest of the story because John uh, Romero and uh, John Carmack they don't exactly end up sticking together uh, too much longer after this point in the story. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about. Dai Katana, we'll talk about how um, he's about making people bitches and stuff we'll, we'll talk, talk about-, about weed dude, we'll talk about pizza
1: parties and shit, and uh, hopefully you <laughs> and the other intelligent listeners will... <laughs> We'll uh, stay tuned for that We'll talk about Bigfoot We'll talk about fucking Redneck Rampage <laughs> And Shadow War And Chex Quest
0: You think we forgot about Chex Quest? I didn't forget about Chex Quest I remembered the shit out of Chex, <laughs> Chex Quest Alright everybody Thank you so much for joining us um, Please check us out uh, on our Patreon If you'd like to support us further uh, www. Uh, World Wide Web Is what that stands for by the yeah. way www.patreon.com Forward slash whizbrew or you can also um, check me out on Twitch, uh, twitch.tv forward slash hoe. You can find me on Twitter at bestjakeyoung
1: or uh, check out the dorkly.com website. That's www.dorkly.com.
0: Or you can look right behind you because I'm standing right behind you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everybody.